Hi, welcome to our Ranch Church podcast, recorded live from our Sunday experience. Our church is on an adventure with Jesus, holding live gatherings in and around the Rancho Mission Viejo community as the building that will be our next church home finishes construction. Do you want to join us for service this Sunday? The best way to stay up to date with where we are meeting is getting our weekly email. Sign up for that via the Connect card in the description of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, presented by Lead Pastor Colby Short. It is good to worship in the park with you guys this morning. I'm so glad that you are with us. Hey, uh, before we get going into the message, just quick updates. You guys want to know more about where we're going and where we're going to continue to meet this building that the pastor keeps talking about and never seems to come to fruition? I got a little bit of an update. It's not a great update, but I got a little bit of an update. You guys want a little bit of an update? Okay, so it's not done. And HVAC is a four-letter word, if you want to know more about that. Um, But here's what we are working on. Uh, We are working on securing a space that is a building space inside, not outside, which would be nice on a morning like this, although it is so lovely outside. Um, And it is right next to where we will be meeting in that finished space that we've been working on for so long. So if you don't get the church emails... Raise your hand if you don't see those things. I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Uh, But you want to be a part of that because that is how we will give you an update. So what we are working on to secure for the next season as we head into that space is a location right next to uh, where our building will finally be. I mean, literally, it's it's the office complex right next to it. That will be a space for us to gather temporarily until we are able to walk over through the Red Sea and the wilderness finally into this promised land that we keep hearing about. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's kind of the update. That's where we're going. I just wanted to let you guys know. And if you're joining us online, we're glad you're with us as well. And if you wanted to ask me more questions, you can afterwards. Uh, But I just thought I'd give you an update before we get going into the message. All right, if you've got your outlines, you can pull those out. Or if you've got your verse, we're going to be at the beginning of Acts this morning. But let me pray for us as we get going into God's word this morning. Jesus. We give this time to you, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. As you can see on your outlines, we're starting a new series called Building Church. As we head into this new season for us, or this next season for us as a church, we're in this series over the next few weeks looking at the beginning of Acts called Building Church. Now, when I say building church, am I talking about building a physical building? No, because we do not believe that the church is a building or a place or a structure. Obviously, we're outside. We believe the church is a people, which is, uh, that's right, it's us. It's you and me. And so this is what we're talking about. So when we talk about building a church, what am I talking about or who am I talking about? Us. It's right. This This is about who we are. This is about who we are invited to be, who we are called to be. It is about who the people that have said yes to the adventure with Jesus all throughout the world today and over the last centuries and millennia, the people that have sought to follow Jesus. This is what we are talking about when we talk about building the church. We are talking about a people. We are talking about us and all that have come before us and all that will follow after us. I've been watching this uh, new series. If you guys are watching the new Lord of the Rings series that came out, the Tolkien, well, it's not Lord of the Rings, but it's a Tolkien-esque series. I'm a Tolkien fan. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to watch it with my son, uh, Jack, and we've been going through this series, and we're a little bit excited. The new series is a little bit, I'm not sure yet. I, I don't know if you've been watching it, but I love Tolkien, and I love his works. And one of the, uh, in the second book 
of the Lord of the Rings. The two towers? Is two towers? I'm drawing a blank. Thank you. Two towers. One of the greatest dialogues happened. It's a dialogue between Frodo and Sam. And if you don't know the story, Frodo and Sam are these hobbit, these quiet people. But they have been tasked with taking the ring of power to destroy it in Mount Doom in Mordor. And so they've been tasked with this journey and they are making their way through all of Middle Earth trying to get to this terribly scary mountain to destroy this ring, which represents evil. And, and as they're on this journey, they find themselves in this place that's right on the edge of Mordor and it is a desolate place. It is a rocky place and they have this dialogue and they, and they begin to discuss and they basically are like, this is not a place we wanna be. This is a place we never should have been. And Sam says to Frodo as, a, as his companion, Frodo's the ring carrier, and Sam says, he says, you know, if we had known when we had started that this is where we'd be or this, all of the things we would have faced, we would have faced, we may never have begun this journey. And he says, that's the way it is. That's the way of it with the old songs and tales, the ones that really mattered, Sam says. Sam says, I used to think that people, they went out looking for these adventures, he calls them. But that's not always the way it is, he says. They seem to find themselves in it. And they decide to go on even when they have ever, every opportunity to quit and turn back. But they don't. And he says, they don't quit because if they did turn back or if they did quit, we would have never known about them. They go on and they eventually find themselves changed by it. And then he ends with saying, I wonder what sort of tale we have fallen into. And so this morning I want to, as we begin this series, I want to invite us to consider what sort of tale, what sort of adventure we have found ourselves into. That we have found ourselves as the church in. And we're going to do that by looking at the beginning of Acts, because the beginning of Acts is just this sort of moment for the, the followers of Jesus. It is an invitation to a, an adventure with Jesus and his Holy Spirit, his advocate, the one that he promises to send as the Holy Spirit works with the followers of Jesus to build his church, which is a people. And as God continues to do the work that he started in the person in Acts, of Jesus as he calls and gathers people to be his church in the world and as God continues to do the work through his spirit and his church. So if you got your Bibles or your outlines, we're in Acts chapter one at the beginning. I will read it, we'll work our way through it and then we'll go back and work our way through it, all right? Okay, here we go. Acts chapter one. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to his apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. As I told you before, Jan, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? And I love this, just pause right there. The patience Jesus has with his disciples, Right? Because Jesus has spent three years with them, talking and teaching. And here's this moment, he has gone to the cross. 
He has defeated death when he rose again after being killed and laid in the tomb for three days. And here they are as Jesus has come back and proved that he's alive. They're asking the same question and Jesus is just, just kind of lovingly looks at them and he just continues his conversation. It's like, you think they would get it after three years, right? It just gives me hope to remember that the disciples, right? The, the guys, they didn't get it either. You know, from time to time, we just don't. So Jesus, his patience. Uh, is it time to, to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. He's already said this to them, by the way. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After saying these, this, he was taken up into a cloud. While they were watching, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, he said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right, number one on your outlines, what sort of story do we find ourselves in? What sort of story are we in? And this is what we see right at the beginning, right? So you'll notice that the letter of Acts opens with this uh, to uh, address to Theophilus. And so what we know about Acts is it's written by Luke. And so if you read, if you want to do some great reading throughout scripture and you don't have something else you're reading through, Luke acts together really is one long dialogue because Luke is the author of Acts and he begins it in the same way, writing to Theophilus. And then we come to the second book with the Acts and he says, I'm continuing to tell the story of what Jesus has done and said. This is the moment, right? This is the moment that we have found that since Jesus has ministered, taught, healed the sick and he has gone to the cross for our sins and he has begun the restoration process for us. He has begun inaugurating the kingdom. And so Luke is saying, look, this is right where we're picking up. So if you read Luke's Acts, the beginning of Acts is right where Luke leaves off in the gospel of Luke. And so what sort of story do we find ourselves in? It is a life-changing story. This is what Luke is pointing out. This is how the beginning of Acts starts. It is a resurrection story story. This is the story of what Jesus has done. And so the story we are invited into is the one that begins with the reality that we need life change, that we need resurrection, that we need new life. And Luke picks up right here. And so we see what Jesus does. And I think this is interesting. So, and Luke highlights it. So what does he say about Jesus? So after the resurrection, he doesn't just come back one time, prove that he's alive, does he? No, he comes back periodically, time to time, right? He's there. He shows up to them and spends time with them. For about 40 days, he appears to the disciples and to the, the 120, which is kind of this larger groups of disciples. We know that Jesus is seen by about 500 plus people, right? All of Jerusalem has this opportunity to connect with him. What is Jesus doing? He's proving he really did come back so that they don't like, you know, it's just sort of one day and the next day they wake up and they're like, wait, did that really happen? Because you could imagine after seeing him crucified that when you saw him the next day, you'd be like, was that a dream? And Jesus is saying, no, this wasn't a dream. And he, and he continues to show up to make sure they get it, right? To make sure that they know that he really did conquer 
death. He shows up and, he, and then he continues to talk to him. And I love that he says, he talks about the kingdom. I wish that they recorded some of those dialogues, but he continues to conquer death. And so this is the story we have fallen into. It is a resurrection, life-changing story that the world needed sin to be dealt with, needed our brokenness to be dealt with. Because as humanity rejects God, we find that that rejection, that sin, that brokenness causes all sorts of hurt and pain in the world. This is the story that scripture tells. It's a story that humanity has rejected God and God pursues humanity. And so finally he deals with the ultimate consequences of sin on the cross by taking it all on him so that we do not have to suffer the ultimate consequences of sin and death. This is the story that the beginning of Acts is inviting us into, that Jesus has brought about resurrection power, that this is what Jesus is doing. He is bringing new life and bringing a new world into existence, and he has begun that on the cross and resurrection, and he will fulfill it when he returns but it is the invitation for us to realize the state we're in and our need for Jesus' work in our lives and in the world. It is a redemptive story that Jesus has brought and will fulfill. And so he spends time with them, the 12 and the 120, right? And, 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 he, and, he, and he shares with them. He wants them to get that he is alive, that he was both fully man and fully God, that he actually was there in person. And I think I'm harping on this a little bit because I think it's one of the things that sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we forget this truth. And we see the disciples wrestle with it from time to time too. In fact, in the early church, we see that there's heresies, which are these false beliefs about Jesus. And we see this, this idea that Jesus was just sort of some spiritual reality and not actually physically there, right? Which Jesus clearly wants him to get that he really was physically there when he rose from the dead. Or they go the other way and Jesus wasn't really fully God. He wasn't really spiritual. He was just material. He was just a wise teacher. And sort of that spirit stuff doesn't really matter either. The heresies in the throughout church history is the Dosaic or the Ar uh, Armenian heresies. And we, we talk about it today, right? We might say somebody is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? And, and the truth is that both of these, when we fail to grasp all of who Jesus is, we sort of err on one of these two ways. And, and, and to be too, so focused on the spiritual and so focused on the end, heavenly misses it, right? Because if all that matters is when we die, then we begin to forget about the world right around us, that all material things are evil. And it begins to lead for us to not care as much as we might about God's good creation. And what we see in the person of Jesus is Jesus did care. He cared enough to become man and be among us. Jesus did care to be with us. And so when we, when we focus too much that way, we err in letting go of caring about God's good creation, caring about the people right around us, because it really isn't the most important thing. But the same as the error on the other side is problematic as well. Because when we're so earthly focused, then all that matters is the material. 
and all that matters is what we can get here now, what we can, and we begin to believe that that is where we find hope or salvation. It's in a person or a place or a thing or money or an experience or a hit, right? And so we see that either way, as we see when we let go of all of who Jesus is, we begin to wander one way or we begin to wander the other, and both have their own sort of forms of idolatry or missing who God is. Why is it, which is why it's so important to remind ourselves of all of who Jesus is, that he was both fully man and fully God, that he was fully capable of dealing with all of the brokenness in the world on the cross. He wasn't just some wise teacher or sage, but nor was he just all spirit and all material is evil. That's not what Jesus says either. And that it invites us to be who we are. And we forget this. And so we're reminded, right? And we're reminded of this in the, at the end of the story, right? Which is in the book of Revelations. We get, we get this glimpse or picture of, of the end of the story when Jesus does return, how it's all going to play out. Because sometimes we th- get trapped into thinking that it really is only about going to heaven someday when we die. But what we see at the end of the story is that there is a new heavens and a new earth. In the end story, it is not just about destruction and doing away with all things. It is actually a recreation story. It is actually a redemption story that God still cares enough about us, humanity, and creation not to just do away with it because of the sin and brokenness, but to restore and redeem it. Will things be done away with when Jesus comes back? Yeah, that's pretty clear. But Jesus is restoring new heavens new earth, God redeeming and restoring all things. This is the story we find ourselves in. It is a resurrection story. It is a restoration story for us and all who want to come and receive Jesus. And then we see that it is a kingdom story, right? But it's a kingdom story, not as we thought. It's on your outlines. And this is what the disciples are kind of wrestling with. Right, as they come to Jesus and they're like, okay, so now's the time you're going to kick out Rome and restore Israel. And, and all they could get their minds on was this new kingdom of Israel being restored. And three years the, the disciples spent with Jesus and they, they still don't fully grasp this reality, all that he was doing. Because, see, it is this new kingdom, but it's so much more than what the disciples could even grasp, right? And that's their question. Okay, so now you're going to deal with Rome? Like, Those are the biggest problems in the world, right? For the disciples, they look at Rome. That is the biggest problem. Jesus, you're going to deal with that, right? And what does Jesus say? That's not the biggest problem in the world. What I am dealing with is so much more. And what am I inviting you to is so much more. But the truth is sometimes I kind of do the same thing with God, right? I I say, I know you want me to love people and invite them into a relationship with you. And I know that you want me to engage people and, and show them your love and invite them into a relationship with you. And so I say, I, I say, yeah, Jesus, I want to do that. But sometimes I also say, but could you also smite that person? Because I'm pretty sure, I mean, I might be the only one as I talk to some of the people that are involved in our building thing. I definitely have played the prayer. Jesus, I'm pretty sure to bring about your kingdom, you need to smite them and then just kind of get on with things. But that's not really the story Jesus invites us into, right? And so as we look at this, and this is what the disciples are focused on, destroy Rome and then bring about your kingdom because that's all they could see, that kingdom, their people, new leaders. 
And Jesus is saying, no, it's restoration for all the world. The kingdom is so much bigger than you could even begin to imagine. The kingdom is more than that. It is not just establishing this new one place. It is a restoration story for all the world that Jesus now is inviting the disciples to go be a part of to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the story we have fallen ourselves into. This is the story we are invited into. Number two on your outline, it says God's mission has a church. Does the church have a mission? Maybe a better way to say it is God has a mission. And to accomplish that mission, he has recruited a church. Because we are called to what God is doing in the world. That's what the church is. We are part of God's mission. Because we believe that the church is not a building is the word I'm looking for. The church is not a building. Wait, sorry. This is how you guys, I get people to talk. The answer is building. We believe that the church is not a, it's a, which is, that's right. And so this is what God is doing. Jesus cocked kicks off the creation of the church and the larger movement of people right here at the beginning of Acts. And he invites them to go share and then for them to gather in all the places, to gather all the people that say yes to this adventure of Jesus to become a sent and sending people. This is, we call it the Great Commission, right? This line that Jesus says to them right in Acts, he says it very similarly in the book of Matthew. This is what Jesus invites his disciples and therefore his church, which is right, into. <laughs> and, and, and so this is, what is the Great Commission today? Here's a question I, as you read the story of Acts. What is Jesus asking them to do? And does Jesus really mean what he is asking them? I don't know if you have, some of you are parents. I come to this moment sometimes with my kids where uh, I ask them to do something and then you kind of look at them like, did you hear what I said? I'd, my youngest sometimes, in fact, just the other night, uh, my wife asked her to do something and then she's still, you know, it's usually around bedtime and it's like brush teeth, PJs, right? Get ready for bedtime. Those are the things you're supposed to do. And then I see her down in the kitchen, not doing the thing. So I ask the question, what did mom ask you to do? And she gives me this blank stare, you know, like, what do you mean what did mom ask me to do or why am I not? It's sometimes I feel like, and I don't know if you can relate to this, sometimes I feel like when I ask my kids to do something, it's like I added the phrase when you get around to it at the end of the sentence. Isn't it? Okay, parents, it's, yeah. So it's, it's like I ask them to do something and then I say, well, when you get around to it. Sometimes as we look at this, the question in my head, as I deal with my kid, the question in my head is, did you... Did you hear what I said? And did you think I meant it? As the disciples heard this, do you think that they said Jesus really meant for us to be about it? Or do you think they went, I think Jesus also added that phrase, when you feel like it or when you get around to it. That's when you should go be, invite to be my witness to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did Jesus mean for his disciples and his church to take this invitation seriously? Did he mean it? When he invites them to go and to be, does he really mean it for us? Let's look at what he says. 
What does he invite him to do? He says, wait for the Holy Spirit first, right? The Holy Spirit will come and you receive power. But then he says, go. And where does he send them to go? He sends them first right where they are. They're in Jerusalem. Where does Jesus send them first? Right where they are, right? To the people that they live with, the people that they are most like most like, their friends, their neighbors, the ones that they have shared relationships with, the ones that they have a shared value set with, right? But then where does he send them next? Judea, which is the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Some of those people are very similar. They have some background, right? It's it's like the next neighborhood over, you know, if it's like, all right, we're greater ranch area, San Juan. Okay, now we're talking like Irvine. Okay, maybe that's like, then he goes on to Samaria. Who are the Samaritans? These are people that they do not like, that they do not think are deserving, that they do not agree with on very many things. These people are unholy. They, they mess up things. They have walked away from God even worse than their own people have walked away from God. These are people that they do not like. And eventually Jesus begins to talk about the entire world. He's talking about sending them to people that are their oppressors, that have taken advantage of them, people that they would never, they don't even share the same language as as we begin, it was dawned on me as I was studying this passage this last week. As we begin to consider this invitation that Jesus has for us in the church today, however difficult I think it is as I look at the different types of people that God might be calling me to, it was worse for them. The people and the situation of the world that they were facing as they go to begin the story, to share the story of the good news, was way more daunting than it is for us today. But he says, begin right where you are, with your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues, the people you work with, the people you go to school with. And he says, how, and then he, and, and what does he say about how we will reach them? You will be a witness. What is a witness, right? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? It means to know the story and to know the person of Jesus, right? And then to share the story and the person of Jesus. Right? So to become a witness, you have to, be, to, to observe something. You have to know about something. You've got to know Jesus and the story of Jesus. And last week, uh, Kenton gave a great message on what is it and how do we hear from the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. And so I encourage you, if you weren't there last week, go back. He talked about reading our Bible and spending time in prayer and the necessity for us to hear from God and to fo- as we seek to follow him. Because to be a witness, we really do have to know what we are witnessing to, don't we? And, 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 and it is mostly in God's word and then through his Holy Spirit that we even come to a place where we know it. And so we have to know and then we see it. So we see it and then we say it, right? To be a witness is to see and to say it. As you think of a court of law, what does a witness do? They saw it and then they share what they saw. So what is Jesus inviting us to be? people that see it, one, we got to know who Jesus is and his story and to receive it and experience it and then to say it and to share it and to talk about it and to be a witness to it. And this is what we see early in the church. As we see, what do they do as they seek to be a witness? They gather and they go, right? Why do they gather? Why do we gather? One of my hopes is for us as a church, as we gather wherever that is, in a park or a building or some future building that keeps being promised to us and never delivered on. Sorry. Right? Why do we gather? 
And it is my hope that as we gather, that this would be a moment that we are grounded in the story once again. That we are grounded in the person of Jesus once again. As we sing the truth, as we look at God's word, it is that we would be grounded. Uh, I got the opportunity to go to um, Hawaii on vacation with my family. Uh, In-laws took us. It was great. One of the things I love to do, get off a plane right after traveling. How do you feel? Terrible. Yeah, it's awful, right? You just like, you feel gross. You feel like you got some sort of weird disease and you hate it. Favorite thing to do is go and land and get in the ocean, right? And just wash it off. It's like this grounding experience where you are just there and you rinse off all of the travels. They actually say, a little pro tip, just so you know, if you are flying somewhere and you want to undo jet lag, if you take off your shoes and like walk in the grass, it helps to undo jet lag. Did you know that? You know what they call it? Drowning. One of my hopes for us as a church, as we gather, that it would be an experience that grounds us. That whatever we face or wrestle with or experience throughout the week, that we would come to this place, look at God's word together, sing the truths together, see each other, and it would re-ground us. It would give us a place to walk back into the world differently from. And that we would do that equipped. That's why we study God's word together. And we talk about it together and wrestle with the true meaning of what Jesus is saying to us, his church, together. And so that we would be grounded and then equipped. And that we would invite others to come and experience the truth as we try to live out what Jesus invited us into. And then so we gather, but we also go. I've got four things about the going, being a witness, okay? And this is, this is me. This is as I think about how I have been an effective witness of who Jesus is, where I am good at evangelism, another word for it, and where I am not. These were four things that I thought about that helped me. So real practically, you with me? Okay, here they are. Consistent, not afraid, present, and bless. Consistent, not afraid, pleasant, and bless. Where, where, when I am good at being a witness of Jesus, these things seem to be true. When I live, so as I think about my neighborhood, when I live consistently as being in their lives and consistently in following Jesus, I have more ground to be a witness to them. I also have to remind myself to not be afraid. I, I'm not, I, some of you may not know this, I'm not terribly outgoing or nor am I a extrovert. And so talking to people is not my favorite thing to do. I know, it's so surprising to some of you. And some of you are like, oh, we know. I, it's not my favorite thing to do. I don't, I don't love to talk to people and I don't love to you know, share uncomfortable things with people. I have to remind myself not to be afraid. That this is something that really does matter and when it matters, we share it. And so I have to encourage myself, I do not need to be afraid. Jesus is with me. So when I think about being a witness, I have to remind myself to be consistent as I engage those around me because it doesn't always happen in one conversation. And I have to remind myself to not be afraid. And sometimes the greatest opportunities to be a witness just come from being present in people's lives, which is the third one, right? Have you found that? Sometimes just being present as people walk through the series or uh, ups and downs of life provides space for the Holy Spirit to work and then for me to partner with the Holy Spirit as God works in their life. 
And this is true as I walk with other believers, other people that have already said yes on the adventure with Jesus. There is moments as we're in the ups and in the downs where we get to, where I have got to share the truth of who Jesus is in those moments because I allowed myself to be present. So we are consistent. I have to be consistent, not afraid, and allow myself to be present. Another way that I find effective in beginning to be a witness is to bless. What do I mean by bless? So sometimes we talk about this, like just hospitality. For those of you that have the gift of hospitality, sometimes this is the beginning of an opportunity to be a witness, right? Because if you invite people into your home or just show care for them, you bless them. And in blessing others it opens the door to begin to have conversations or just point to or extend an invitation to come to a gathering where we talk about who this Jesus is. And so as I have considered what does it mean to be an effective witness, four things, consistent, not afraid, present, and blessed. And we do it all with a lot of prayer and in community. All right, number three on your outline is stepping out that door, right? To be a witness can't be hit up in my office, right? Can't be hit up in my house. So to begin to be step out that door, I've got to say yes to Jesus in my own life. For some of us, that's the first step. Do I really believe this? Have I said yes to the adventure with Jesus? Because I can't be a witness to it if I don't know it. And the second is to realize that Jesus wants to do a work in the entire world. And for many of us, you have begun this. And you find yourself in a place, maybe with a family member, because sometimes family members are the toughest, people you are closest to, and you, and you keep engaging and wanting God to work. And so this morning, we're just reminded what Jesus says to the disciples. Hey, stay here and wait for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the invitation for us is to okay, wait for the Holy Spirit to do their work. And so it's just us praying and looking for the opportunity for God to work. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship this morning. Jesus, we are your church. And God, we love to gather even in the heat to be reminded of who you are and how much you loved us, that you died for us, for me. God, that you provided a way for me to have new life. And so, God, we are reminded that we are people of new life, that we are people that your resurrection work is taking place in. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would just hold to that as we sing to you this morning. And, God, we are people that want to take serious your invitation to be your witness to the world. And so, as we continue to worship this morning, Jesus, would you begin to speak to us, Holy Spirit, what you want to say to us and where you want to lead us. Pray all this in your name. Amen.